Hey everyone, welcome to the Love and Truth Church Savannah podcast. We are so glad you joined us. Our hope is for these teachings to be encouraging and uplifting and that they would help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, let's get ready to receive a powerful message from Pastor A.J. Fowler. Bibles, if you would, turn to the book of Acts chapter 1. I felt it uh, very necessary to specifically focus on the mission statement of Love and Truth Church. Now, I'm not going to give you, we're not going, like, oh my God, he's going to talk about bylaws and he's going to go through all of it. No, 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 no. We pulled our mission statement straight from Scripture, and I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that, that has a d- direction and a focus Hey, this is where we're going. You, you're sitting in a seat, first off, that a person that maybe helped to build where we're at, there was a vision cast to them. They grasped it, and they ran with it, and they've seen God work it out. And for those that have been faithful through the years, understand that where you sit, someone sacrificed. And Love and Truth Church is not just a multi-site church to be cool and sexy in our day and age. It was in the heart of God for there to be five locations. Sorry if that offended some. I didn't mean to do that. But <laughs> but it's not because that's the cool thing going now. Hey, let's just go. Let me be a lead pastor and let me throw out five or six churches and let's just go. No, 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 no. We, this was in God's heart. This was in the, the heart of God for us to, to expand and grow as a ministry and change lives that changes the worlds that we live in. And so... Within that, we have a vision, and we have a structure, and we have a strategy, and we know where God's taking us. And I'm telling you, even as I've heard it said from Pastor Eddie to Pastor Philip to those that have gone on, the better days for Love and Truth Church are still ahead. There's still way more lives to be changed. And we believe in this house that all steps in to get involved. It's not just the efforts of two to three, a church staff or a pastor, because if it's all on me, I'm done. I'll do it with you, but I ain't going to do it for you. I'll do ministry with you, but I definitely won't do it for you. But it's all of us together grabbing a hold of the plow and saying, hey, we've got something that God desires for us to do. And I hate to say the cliche phrase, but it's the truth. God truly does have a plan for your world and your life. And he intends for you to grasp it and run. So this morning as I talk about this, I'm kind of coming from a place I will hone in and focus a little bit on the supernatural power of God because I have been declaring over us, God, we are a supernatural house of power, not just this local church, but the, the ministry, we are, a, we are a supernatural church of power. We believe in the power of God. We don't think that the gifts has ceased. We don't think that the fivefold ministry has ceased. It's not for a few, it's for the whole. And, and there's a lot of people that struggle when we begin to talk about the power, the spiritual gifts and things. And, and, I, and I go back to, and I don't mean this bad, but I, I, my thought comes to uh, a quote that I heard from a very religious movie called Batman Begins. And the guy said, the, the, of all people, the, the crime boss says, you always fear what you don't understand. And so sometimes it's just understanding it. And what we believe here is we want to teach you. We don't want you to freak out and be closed off, but open up and say, Why, what is a supernatural church? You believe in the supernatural power of God because if you didn't, you, have, you would have never been able to get saved. 
right? Because that's the greatest miracle that could ever happen in anybody's life is salvation. But we believe that God fully intends for you to be empowered by the Spirit of God to fulfill the purposes of God in your personal world that affects the region that you live in. We're not a city church. We're a regional church. We draw from northern Mississippi, northern Alabama. We draw from western parts of Tennessee. And as, as of late, I'm almost going to start calling us an international church because we've, we've had somebody recently that's been attending here that's from Costa Rica. So how about that? When God spoke to me, and I know it sounds crazy. Yes, God still speaks. When God spoke to me two years ago and he said, I'm going to send him in all over the nation, I might have missed and, and heard him say that I'm going to send him in all over the nations. But I definitely heard all over the nation because we have been, we've had the privilege to connect with so many people from all over the United States, as far to the far north, and actually some from Canada uh, that have come through. It's amazing. I feel like that we're... The church of Ephesus, they're just kind of flowing through. It's just a Pickwick's a big draw and a retirement, but you come here, you're going to get refired. I'm just going to let you know. You don't retire, you refire right here. I declare it. So in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, some of the people that's retiring is like, oh, boy, we need to go find us another church, Clarice. Where are we going to go? I tried to think of a name that nobody has. If that's your middle name, I'm sorry. Acts 1. Acts 1, chapter 8, I mean, excuse me, Acts 1, verse 8. This is in the last few moments that Jesus is with his disciples. It's, there is a, there's a 50-day window between Passover and Pentecost, and we're in that window. There was 40 days Jesus was with his disciples and his followers, and he was teaching to them and talking to them of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That's Acts 1. You read that on down. And he gets to verse 8. And now we Pentecostals like to get excited and pumped up about this, but what does this really mean, okay? So he tells them, he says, but you will receive power, power, not exousia, authority, because they've been interchangeable in Scripture, but you will receive dunamis power. When the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you, and I love this because he's saying, for this purpose, and you will be my witnesses. So the purpose of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was for the endowment of power to witness the name of Jesus. And he goes on to say, and I love this, in Jerusalem, that is their local neighborhood. All right, there's three layers right here. All right, I'm speaking to our church right now. To Jerusalem and all of Judea and all of Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that's Savannah so to speak, Hardin County and the surrounding tri-state area and then to the uttermost, part, uttermost parts of the earth. There you go. They were looking, it, it, I love this, and he says, after he said this, they were taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently to the sky. Suddenly two men dressed in white um, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? The same Jesus has taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. Now, this morning, uh, as I talk to, be, talk to you about our mission, uh, you know our vision, most of you do, but just changing lives to change our world. And people say, well, what do you mean? We understand the Holy Spirit does that, but as I'm changed and transformed, I begin to change the world around me. And I'll say this, many of you need to change the people around you because they're not doing you any good. But if you don't change the people around you, then the people around you will never change, and you'll never change. So be wise 
And, and it's, that's why we say changing lives, because when you're transformed, guess what? You stop doing some things. When God saves you, you stop going some places, you stop saying some things, you stop watching some things, you, you stay away from places that are going to be detrimental to, detrimental to the witness that God's called you to become. But as a mission here, this is who we are, and I want to talk through these five, and i got a mandate. Love and Truth Church is called to be a place of supernatural power, impacting the world, showing unconditional love, reaching the lost, and bringing all people to maturity and Jesus Christ to obedience through his holy word. I, I want to I, I say this. I, I believe in this season I, I've really felt I've been praying specifically for the harvesting of souls in a 50 to 60 mile radius. I believe that God's called us as a church, and I'm not, people say, well, you're just all concerned about numbers. Well, there's a book in the Bible called Numbers, so I think it's okay. But I, I've, I've been praying, I've felt in my heart, I've got a conviction, God, you've called this church to grow to 500. I've been telling our staff, you've got to raise your level of leadership to, to 500 people. You can't think small. We, it's when we put things out, we're, we serve a God of abundance. So we don't put out just a few that, that helps you. We want to make sure that we're thinking abundance because they're coming. We believe that God has called us to, to, to see more souls be transformed, come into the kingdom of God. So that's where our minds ha- has been. And so as I was just thinking through and praying through over the past several weeks, I preached a few Wednesday nights ago that, that there's the, the church, it's called the power of a focused church. And, and talked about churches that are expanding and growing. It's, it's people that are coming in and being transformed, but they're plugging in and becoming a part of what that local church is doing. And they're healthy because healthy things grow. And we've been called to grow. We're not called to become stagnant, have us for and no more. You're not looking at somebody that's perfect, and you're not going to look at somebody that's just going to say, well, you just go do this stuff, and I'm going to sit back. I'm not. I'm not geared that way. If you've ever worked for Audrey Scott or Kevin Scott, you know you can't sit still because you get a good chewing if you do. But I'm just not geared that way. My heart is geared to move because what I understand about, about Scripture and about prophecy and God himself is God is not a stagnant God. God is not a static God. He's dynamic. He's moving. He's constantly looking. It's not Holy Spirit is a lake. He's not a lake. What is he? River. There we go. He's a river. So what is a river? You never step two feet in the same river. I don't care if you do it at the same time. It's different. That's crazy to think about, but it's the truth. And so Holy Spirit is moving. He's a river. And as a church, we have five mandates. We pull straight from Scripture. And as we look at these, I want to break them down. The, number, the first one here is, is I look at the mission statement that we are, that we are a church of supernatural power, and we don't apologize for it. We believe that in salvation, when you confess, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I need you to cleanse me and wash me thoroughly, and I'll do this every day. I'll probably get saved every day, by the way, or a recommitment, whatever. Because I don't know about y'all. Y'all might have it all together, but I don't. I have my moments. I still struggle in areas of my life and can't share those with you. But I will tell you this one. I do struggle driving. People say, well, I've seen you drive. You drive 85 Put your hands over your ears. You're good. You didn't hear that. We got a police off, a lady police officer in the room. I'm just kidding. No. So, but I, I, that's something. I get it from Pastor Eddie. So there you go. I get it honest. But, but 
here, here's, here's the thing. We all have our struggles, and we all have things and our shortcomings. And, and, but but you're, you're not looking at anyone that's perfect. You're not looking at anyone that has it all together. You're looking at someone that I still have broken areas of my life that I bring completely before the Lord, and I remove the mask and say, God, here I am. All of this, heal, restore it. Use me if you can. I'm not able in some areas, but I will be available in every aspect of my life for you to use. And God's looking for that. But we're a church of supernatural power. I'm a testament to see what God can do if you'll yield. If you won't surrender and you won't submit, it's hard. It's just like he told the Apostle Paul, Paul, it's hard to kick against the pricks. And we all like to kick the, well, I need to stop. I was about to go somewhere. It's hard to kick against the goads or it's hard to kick against those things that would stick back. He said, in other words, Paul, you got to surrender. you got to lay down. And so that's what I've learned to do. And because I've done that, God has taken whatever this is and my wife, and he's used us in ways that I could only even dream. If God does nothing else, we have seen the supernatural power of God move in our lives in this house. I'm not elevating and magnifying a church name. It's just what God has used, and he's still using it because I see people sitting here this morning that he's transforming. But as a supernatural, uh, as a church that believes in the supernatural power of God, we believe that we, we, we pursue and we are presence-focused. We are presence-focused. What does that mean? Well, the pre- if the presence of God does not show up, and when I say show up, I don't mean that, that he just all of it. it it's, he's omnipresent, right? That's what I love, Psalm 139. It talks about the omniscience of God. It talks about the omnipresence of God. It talks about the omnipotence of God. It just hits them all three. So when you read 139 Psalms, that's a great one for you, great for your devotional time. But when I think about God is everywhere, I can't run from him. He is all, everywhere at all times. But there are times when we gather two to three come together underneath one roof. That's the power of a church that gathers when we gather, something shifts in the room, right? Some of you might have felt it today. Maybe you felt a tear creeping down your face. and like, what is that? I had not felt one of them in a while. That's just the present. Because God will soften the hardest of hearts. His presence is the thing that I go after, and I don't care what anybody thinks. I do not care. Because you didn't save me. He did. And I know what it feels like. You don't know the story. There's so many stories in this church of people that have been impacted by the presence of God. That it, it changed. They were going this direction and encounter the presence of God. And they 180 and they're compl- it's like, what happened? The presence, I can't explain it. It might have came through a word. It might have came through a worship moment. It might have come through an altar moment. It might have come through a conversation before or after service or a group. doesn't matter. But it's the presence. Because in the presence, there's what? Fullness. Fullness of joy. There's peace in his presence. So many people are trying to find it in other, and look, I don't come to church to get my fix. I come to church to get into agreement with what he's already doing. I don't need a fix. I don't want God to become a, 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 just a, a cosmic vending machine that I come into, get my fix as a presence junkie, and I go out. No, I, I come to come into agreement, and I come to watch and see what he's going to do in somebody else's life. Because how awesome is it? To me, it's, it's, it's just, if he touches me, that's great, and I, I, I receive it. But to watch him touch somebody in the room that has never encountered the presence of God and see them yield and wilt in his presence and say, God, here I am, use all of me, that's worth it so we're presence focused my personal vision that I say often is that God make me and Crystal extraordinary hosts for the presence of God in our homes 
And it, sometimes it sounds like World War III, almost. We're not pulling, well, Elijah will pull some Nerf guns every so often. But it, it, almost, it, it can be intense. <laughs> I'll just say that. But my babies still hear me pray. They hear me pray in the Holy Spirit. They see me read. And we're presence-focused. We do our very best to be presence-focused and presence-sensitive to the Holy Spirit. God, what are you saying to our family? That when people pull onto our property, do they feel the presence of God? Our church. God, I know that I'm called to steward this. This is not mine. This church does not belong to me. I am called to steward, and every one of us are stewarding. And you can see how much God trusts you by seeing what he's entrusted to you. What is he entrusted to you? Raise your hand if you're saved. Almost. Some of you, we're going, we'll, we'll, we'll have a moment. I feel like I predominantly preach to, to most people that are safe. If not, you will have your opportunity, I promise. But in that, you can see how much God trusts you. He gave you heaven's most precious gift, Holy Spirit. That's what he gave to you. Do you see how much he trusts you? What are you doing with what you have? You've been given presents. Salvation, can I say this as a supernatural church? We believe when we get saved, the Spirit of God comes inside. There's something subsequential to salvation that we experience is what they, they experienced in the upper room. And you shall receive power. Remember, in the book of John, they're in the upper room with Jesus. Just the, or that, that room where the doors are shut. They're scared after death. Remember last week I preached this message. The doors are shut. Jesus walks in and says, peace to you. And after a moment, he looks at him and he says, receive, receive the Holy Spirit. So what is that moment? Salvation. They receive. When Jesus is gone, they're in an upper room. And all of a sudden, there's a supernatural sound that comes from heaven. And it begins to settle. Cloven tongues of fire. And they begin to speak with other tongues. And there was a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And then there was another one in Acts 8. And there was another one in Acts 10. And then there's another one in Acts 19. There were these moments of when they're baptized, they're believing, but they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's an evidence that comes with this. We are a supernatural church. We will not apologize for that. We believe that God still heals. We believe that the nine spiritual gifts, the power gifts, are still in operation today. We still believe that the five-fold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, are still being called today. We believe in the administrative gifts that are in Romans 12. We believe that that's what it takes. And, and it's not just the, 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 the role of two to three, but it's the function of the body as a whole that comes together and begins to move in these when they're called and they discover their purpose. That's what we believe. Without the presence of God, we are only a social club at best. It's the thing I think Bono said. He said that in the American church, most churches could go on and function without the Holy Spirit, and most of other people would never know it. No, God. If that happens here, you got to move me. <laughs> I mean, it, but I don't think it's going to happen here because I ain't going to let it happen here. We cannot become so programs-driven that we lose control and we never become presence-driven. we got to have presence. 2 Timothy, I want to read this in short, and I probably it's going to take me a little bit. But I want to read this in short because I, 
I was doing my devotional reading this week. There was a verse that was sticking out to me, and it's verse 5. And I'll give you the punchline real quick. But verse 5 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, I, I'm sorry, Morgan. I'm going to start with verse 5, and I just want, to, I want them to see it. But we, we see a lot of people that have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of God. They have form without power. They have a strategy, but they have no power. They have a blueprint, but there's no transformative power. It's, it's, it's something that, it's a program or a principle that has been formed in the mind, but it's never been formed in the presence of God. And Paul is writing to his spiritual son, and he said, these people, and I'll read them in a moment, have a form of godliness, but they deny the power that they have. Have nothing to do with these people, Timothy. In other words, you mark them and you avoid them. All right? So now let's look at who them are. Okay, so start in verse 1. I was reading this in my devotional time, and it was just like, I know this, but it was like a sense of urgency that struck my heart, and I realized we're in this moment right now. We're in it right now. So verse 1 says this. Let's read. Verse 1 says, but understand this, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Understand something. I don't want to freak you out, but we're in the last days. We're not in the last day. We're in the last days. We have had the Spirit of God poured out upon all flesh. Sons and daughters are supposed to prophesy. Words of encouragement, edification, and comfort. That's what we're called to do, all right? Look at this. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive. I'm not trying. I'll bring it up, I promise. I'm talking to myself. Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love. Unforgiving. Let me take a moment right here and let me tell somebody something. I feel this in my spirit. You may think I don't have to forgive them. You're wrong. You're wrong. I promise you, I'm not trying to belittle what they did to you. If you don't forgive them, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. I'm not saying you have to walk back into relationship with them, but you need to get along with the Lord. Forgiveness is not a feeling. You hear me? I'm being pastoral because I really sense this in the Holy Spirit. You have to forgive them, but you do not have to walk in relationship with them. Now, if they're your spouse, that's a different story, okay? But you have to forgive them or else you won't see heaven. You may have everything else in line, but if you've got unforgiveness, fix that. You need to get before God, you and the Lord. Slanderous. We're seeing this. People are slandering one another. We may not see... Uh, in American church, slander and gossip has become greater than alcoholism and other things. We have to turn away when the conversation turns sour about somebody else. And if somebody comes to you and says, Pastor Reggie, what do you think about so-and-so? I'm going to tell you. No, I don't. I'm not going to think. Right here, I got too much. I can't be worrying about what they're doing. Now, if they're my sheep, I, I, I listen, I, I will, we'll, we'll talk differently. But on the other side of it, people come to you and want to gossip and slander. You have to stop it. It's just like with what's going on with Pastor Sherry. Don't come to me and tell me well, and, and, and speak it other, anything other than life or anybody that's a part of this house that knows. Hey, let's stand and speak life. Watch, watch what you say. But don't be slanderous without self-control. Look at this. Do you all see? This is literally where we are. Brutal, not lovers of the good. Treacherous, rash, conceited. How much is arrogance and pride driving our society? If you don't believe it, look on social media. Look what whatever's trending is what everybody wants to be a part of. And they want to, they do it for the likes of many. And I'm going to be a little crazy and pastoral cliche and crazy. But they do it for the likes of many and not for the love of one. (laughs) All right, moving on. 
Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but they deny its power. Well, I believe in the salvation power of God, but, you know, I just don't, man, just, just come to church, have a good time, go home and eat some fried chicken, sweet tea, mashed potatoes, and take a long nap on a Sunday, get up and do Monday. I'm good. But God's saying, look, there's more. There's more. Where's your appetite for the things of the Lord? Where's your appetite for the deeper spiritual things? You understand that if it's a soulish mind, you can't discern the spiritual things. If your mind is soulish, if somebody, if somebody, let me say this, and I got to hurry. If somebody provokes you because of their pursuit of God, and, and, it, and it makes you a little jealous, it should. It ought to provoke you to say, man, where am I? It makes you take a spiritual inventory. Where am I at? I see God moving in their life. I see the favor of God coming upon their life. Provoke me to step into something more. Break this apathetic, lethargic spirit off of me, God, and move me into better things. I want to move into more, the deeper place of God. It ought to provoke you. Listen, he's not a normal God. He's supernatural. You are made naturally supernatural. Or you're supernaturally natural. You were made to crave the spiritual things of God. You were made for that. Sorry, verse 6, for among these are those who slip into households and deceive weak women, weighed down with sins, led away with various desires. Look at this next part, verse 7, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. You know some people like that? They, have, and they got a lot of knowledge, but they have absolutely zero wisdom. What's the difference? First off, the wisdom that comes from earth is sensual, earthly, and demonic in nature. Wisdom that comes from God is of peace. One thing about this, I would say this. Knowledge is knowing what to do. Wisdom is knowing what to, what to do with what you know. God gives wisdom so that you know how to apply knowledge in the right way. we got a lot of people that know a lot of things, but they don't have wisdom because they don't know how to apply what they know. So in other words, it makes you to a point to where you don't really know how to function and move forward without the wisdom of God. So... Jesus speaks to his disciples and tells them, listen, you've got to receive this power because he expected them. It wasn't just he hoped they were. He expected them to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus. That's his expectation. Here's what we have. We, we have a lot of proclamation, as we should, the preaching of the word. Keep preaching the word. Keep preaching the truth. But there is not enough demonstration. We have a lot of proclamation. It's not the format of how Jesus looked. Read the, read the Gospels and look at Jesus. How did Jesus function? He would teach. He would preach. And then what? Heal. Teach, preach, heal. He would stand up because Jew, the, way, the way the Jews are is they're very visual in their learning. Okay? This is what I've been learning over the past several weeks. I'm just really doing a deep dive in some areas. But in their culture, they're very visual. So everything they do, they do with a, with a visual connection to it. Like with their children, when they talk about that his word is like honey, what they'll do is the rabbis will go into their, their Jewish, uh, um, the, the little Jewish schools, uh, kindergarten and things like that. When they're learning the word of God, they will put honey on a parchment paper and they will connect, taste that. As they taste it, they say, now God's word is like honey. That's what it's, so they're visual. So when Jesus would walk and he would teach and he would preach, he was demonstrating to them, this is how you do this. He wasn't saying, I am God and nobody else can do this. 
Now, that, that's not what he said. Listen, remember, he was the light of the world. Then he turned and looked at them and said, now you're the light of the world. So in other words, I'm showing you, you follow. We're called to be a, a church of supernatural power. So we're called to teach. We're called to preach. doesn't matter if you have a mic on a stage. doesn't matter. You go do your thing and your work as you go, because that's the, that's the great commission. As you go, this is what you're called to do. All right? I think you got it. We've got to move into demonstration, Savannah Campus. I don't want this to just fall on deaf ears, but we've got to move into demonstration. I've heard enough messages to get me, I don't know, somebody here may not be saved this morning, but I've heard enough messages to get me to heaven and back a million times. But where is the demonstration? Where are those that when someone says, hey, I'm not feeling good today, somebody says, well, you know, instead of saying, I'll pray for you. Now, stop right there. Go to them and say, can I pray for you right now? Let me put my hand on your shoulder. And woman to woman, man to man, whatever, it, it, whatever's happening, pray with them. Or however that works, pray with them. Put your hand where the problem is, shoulders back, whatever. Or maybe it's just an emotion. Do it in the moment. Offer it right then. And let's see what, well, Pastor, I don't know how to, it does not matter. Listen, just, just say, God, I believe you for it. If that's all you can say, God, I believe you for it. In the name of Jesus, be healed. Amen. But whatever. Isn't it interesting that Jesus never... It's, he, when he, we say that he prayed for the sick, but he always just declared over them. He always made a statement. So it wasn't ever like, oh, Father, would you heal them? What did he do? He just did it. So he might spit. I don't know if I'll make it. I might. I'll just have to put up the slides. I feel this. We never see where he prayed to the Father in a moment. We saw him just. Spit on the ground, make some mud, wipe it on their eyes. Now go. When he was casting out demons, he spoke to the demon, come out. Authority. And he wants you to move in the same. You know what that's called? There's, it's a Greek word called exousia. That's delegated authority that the sons and daughters of the kingdom of God. We have that. Listen, if you don't believe it, he's your elder brother. That's what scripture says, right? So being that Jesus is... My representation, I'm called to walk in the same thing. All right, I'm just thinking in that. I, I could really get hung up on supernatural power. Let me keep moving. So to be presence-focused, this means this. There's three things. means that you're totally dependent upon him, all right, regardless of what it is. He is your provider in all aspects. The church doesn't provide for me. He's my provider, and I do live by that. I really, we, my wife and I do. We give out of that understand, we're not giving to make sure the church stays. No, 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 we ain't worried. I don't care. We give because we understand that's what's expected. We bring our tithe. We give our offering. The tithe belongs to him. The offering is above and beyond, and that's where the blessing of God begins to flow, and he has blessed us, I'm telling you. We believe in his plan. To be presence-driven means, or presence-focused, we believe that he's got a plan. And the third thing is we follow where he directs. If he does not go, we're not going. That's presence-focused. The second thing is that this church is one that believes in impacting the world. So we're missions-minded. Most of you know that. We have, uh, and of all, Pastor Sherry is our missions director. And the, the churches that we have, she, it's like Pastor, Pastor Eddie will say sometimes, he'll say, she, she's managing more churches than I am. She's pastoring more churches than I am. There, there are churches in Kenya and Uganda. We have churches in the Philippines. And, and it's just, 
all it's amazing. You go and you walk out into the middle uh, of a jungle, especially in the Philippines. You'll walk out, and next thing you know, you'll just see it. Because they use different colors. I don't understand it, but it's their culture. It'll be this lime green building, but then you'll see that blue Love and Truth logo changing lives to change our world. And when you walk in, you feel like you just walked into home. Now, it's hotter than blue blazes. I'm just telling you I want to go to hell. When you go to the Philippines, I don't, I don't want to go to hell because it's hot. But you walk in and you say, man, this is why those, if you, can't get, if you can't go, you definitely give. And then there's those of us that we give and we go. I encourage you to go because it absolutely transformed your Western mind. You begin to think globally. You begin to think uh, beyond your, your home. You begin to think beyond our little town. Uh, because, you know, we're, we're, a, we're a regional church. We're, we're impacting. But it's just, man, it takes it to another level. We believe the Great Commission. We're redeeming the time. That as we give because we can't go, maybe we give, we redeem the time. You've heard pastors say this before. But some of those, we loaded up in a little jeepy in the Philippines. And they packed 12 of us in there. I was like, no, nah, four people in this thing. They said, no, nah, 12. <laughs> And you're sitting there, and, and I, that was when me and Pastor Eddie both went, and that's whenever he said it, I do not want to go to hell. I was like, absolutely. But you're, you're and, and they'll load people up. And it's one of the things is, and some of these churches where they're at, they're in the middle of nowhere, and so sometimes a pastor has to walk two and three hours to get to his church. But as you give, what happens is, into the, in, in the missions, what happens is, is we're able to purchase him a bike, that begins to cut that time down to maybe an hour and a half, or maybe we can purchase him a motorcycle that cuts it down to maybe 45 minutes. Or if we get really, really holy, we, we give enough money and sacrificially to where we're able to, buy, to build him a house right there beside the church. So he's right there with his people, and we've done that. We actually, Savannah Campus, many of you, I, tried to, I talked about it a while back, but we built a parsonage for one of the, uh, the Bible school teachers in, uh, in, in Africa. So that's an exciting thing. We were able to redeem the time and get him closer to his students to teach the Word of God. So we're missions-minded here. We're not internally focused in that regard. We believe that every Christian has an obligation to the world. Every one of you sitting in this room have an obligation. You do. You have an obligation. No, I just attend church here. No. You have an obligation. You have an obligation. You're serving something bigger than yourself. <clears throat> The third thing is this, is that in this house, I can't tell you how many testimonies, I told some this morning, but how many testimonies of people have walked through these doors and they said, we were expecting judgment, but we received none. We were expecting someone to walk up and say, you, you can't attend this house because of your past. And they never received it. One of them I love, it's one of my favorite phrases is someone said, I walked in this door and I've got a really shady and a bad past and my past was left outside. So I was like, that's, that is so worth it. Because you know what? <laughs> I might have been such worse some of you, and I've been there too. I've been that one. But we don't want them. I don't care who they are. You come into this house, we're going to love you. Now, we're going to tell you. We're going to talk to you. We're going to make sure that, that you understand you're going to get the word of God and we won't, because we want God to change you. We don't see the dirt. We've got to see the gold. You understand that you've got gold in you? That's what prophesying is. It's pulling those things out of you. When God, God will speak to you about somebody, and all you can just see is that gold. Paul said, when you prophesy, edify, build up, comfort, exhort, uh, and, and, and lift up the body. So we look for the gold that's in the heart of the person. 
Here is what I know. Number three is we are very, very compassion-oriented, or we should be if we're not. Most of us, I hope, are working towards that. How many of you understand people are messy? Messy eaters? No. Literally, they, they're just, they got stuff. And guess what? We all got it. I don't care who you are. If you think you've moved into a place, well, could you believe what they did? You need to go look in the mirror and be reminded of who you were before Jesus pulled you out of the miry, out of the miry pit because you were in a bad state. Every one of us. People are messy. And revival brings the mass. I was reading the parable of the dragnet the other day, and all the fish were gathered in. I know that's referring at the end of the day they're going to pull them out. But I was just thinking about the backgrounds and the uh, socioeconomic statuses of people on this side of the tracks, that side of the tracks, how much money they have, the neighborhood they live in. And there's poor, rich, in the middle, uh, uh, whether they're left wing or right wing. And by the way, I, I love Billy Graham's quote. He said, God is not left wing and he's not right wing. And he also said when somebody asked him, uh, Brother Billy, what are you? What political affiliation are you? He said, I'm not left wing or right wing. I'm for the whole bird. For the whole. God is kingdom. He's not Democrat. He's not Republican. And I know that might offend some people, but I don't care because it's not scriptural. Jesus said, beware of the leaven of Herod, political system. And the leaven of Pharisees, the religious system, he's kingdom. All right, I'll leave it alone. I, I, I really probably just bound some spirits, but I, I'll just let you know, okay? Um, what is it that we're looking for as a church? I love what Proverbs 14 and 4 says, because we're going to show unconditional love. The Bible says here, it says, where there's no oxen, the stalls are clean, but much strength comes from the ox. And there's an abundant har- abundance of harvest that's there. So what does that mean? I'm not, I, I can't choose who comes to our church. I'm called to love them. And guess what? That means that I have to pick up the, the scoop at times, and i got to shovel some stuff up. If you're standing by and watching me shovel, what's wrong with you? Get you a scoop, and let's go to work. Because there's people going to come in. And guess what? It'll get messy. There's times it gets, but revival is messy. When they come in from all walks of life, and they're needing deliverance and breakthrough, these freedom groups are going to get messy, Colin Kena. But it's all right. You know what? It's all right because we're in a private place. We're confessing our faults one to another, and people are getting healed. And it's going to grow. I prophesy in the name of Jesus that by the next two years, we're going to see over 200 people going through these classes, that there's going to be more leaders. There's going to be more freedom. There's, this, this region is going to be transformed by this house. It's not, it's not only this house, but it's going to be by this house. I declare it over freedom right now. And that people are going to walk into this house and feel the peace of God and the judgment of cold. The judgment of religiosity is not going to be in this room. It's not going to be on this property. People that have, have broken down marriages and that have struggled for years are going to walk in in a moment's time. I prophesy an immediate healing in that moment where husbands and wives are joined back together. I see sons being joined back to their fathers and fathers to their sons. Daughters to daughters to moms and moms to daughters. Daughter-in-laws to mother-in-laws. I see a full reconciliation. I'm going to tell you, listen, I don't care. It is Sunday morning. Guess 
guess what? Some of y'all are just going to get a dose of it. I believe that this is a house of recovery. Even as my pastor and our apostles spoke and said, this is a house of recovery. Not just for drug addicts. We know that they're going to be healed. But it's for all of those in every walk of life that come in with broken stuff. They don't know how to handle the future. They just come in and all we say is, we love you. Come have a seat. And as they sit in the presence of God, the, the unconditional love of the people of God begins to transform hearts and minds. I'm telling you, the days are, are, are the days of empty seats are going to be over, and I'm believing that the houses are going to be filled all the way down, everywhere around Savannah. I pray for churches that would stand for truth and stand for what God wants to do, and that the love of God is flowing into every house, every leader, every house, and that we no longer judge people by what they look like, how they talk, what they're doing. We just begin to pull them in close. We're going to teach them the word of God, speak to them about the truth of God, but let it be done in love. Let it be done in love. Let it be done in wisdom. Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I declare it. I declare it. I declare it. Number four, reaching the lost. We're outward focused. We're outward focused. So many churches are inward focused. They're too busy looking down, and, and I'm not casting judgment, but we want to look down. Well, we got, this is our flock, and this is, no, 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 we got more to come. Hey, we're doing what we do for those yet to come, but we're going to make sure that's when we got care groups that everyone is taken care of. And that's why we need all hands on deck. Everybody has to plug in to this. Everyone has to play. I hate to use that word, but that's what I'm trying to get my point across. We understand we can accept people without approving of their lifestyle. We can. We've had those that have had multiple partners, heterosexual sins come into this house, and we've had those from a homosexual lifestyle come into this house. You mean to tell me you let them sit in your house? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now they're going to get the word. And we're going to talk to them about their lifestyle that it's wrong. But remember, before we begin to cast judgment, we need to stop and look right here. God wants them saved. I've got someone that I've been praying for that's in a homosexual lifestyle for a long time. And I, if they walk through these doors, I'm going to love on them. Probably going to be a little bit overt, but I, I want them to come to Jesus. I want them to come out of that lifestyle and walk in wholeness. God wants them saved. He wants them to come home. Look at Jesus' disciples. Look at them. One of them is a terrorist. Jesus, could you have picked a better group? One of them he knew would betray him, but he still, he still chose him. Number five, make disciples. This may mess with you, but not make new converts, make disciples. They're saved. Let me ask you, where are you at in your journey with being discipled? Have you moved since the day you got saved? Are you still sitting at the same level you were? I'm pleading with you today. Become a disciple. 
I'm pleading. The world needs your talents in the kingdom of God. God needs you to be empowered by the Spirit of God using what you know for the sake of the kingdom. What does that look like? Around here we talk about servanthood. But servanthood development, what does that mean? I hate to use the word development, but it's what I can think of. Servanthood development, what does that look like? It means that I lay down my rights. I pick up my cross and I follow him. You can't make me be discipled as well as I can't make you be discipled. But I can't stop you either. But in my journey with being discipled, and I'm still, I'm still an apprentice of Jesus. I'll do that until the day that I, I, I'm no longer. You grow till death. You literally grow to death. You grow in the kingdom of God until this life is over. You never stop learning. You never stop growing in the kingdom. You learn, learn, learn. Stop being a know-it-all, some of you, and start asking for God to make you a learn-it-all. Help me to learn, God. What do I need to learn? What's next? The more I pray, the more I read, the more I'm realizing, man, this thing is so much bigger than I could ever imagine. Now's the time. Get off of the milk and get on the meat. I want us to stand all over the house, if you would. And as you're standing, if you would, just, just close your eyes for just a moment, just to honor for somebody in this room that is lost. Listen, let me tell you, as we've seen around here, life can change in a moment's time. Your voice can be taken in a moment. Your abilities can be taken in a moment. And my question to you is right now, if that happens, where are you with Jesus Christ? Have you repented of your sins? I know this is just, some of you, this is just another little bit of whatever at the end of a service. But I am telling you, where are you with Jesus? doesn't matter how much you've made, what kind of reputation you've got within the community. Are you saved? He's calling your name today. If you're lost, I'm not going to call you to the front. And eyes closed just to honor them. If you're lost, raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Anybody say, that's me, Pastor Reggie. I'm lost. I need Jesus, and I want to be saved today. Raise your hand right now. Be bold about it. Or maybe right now you know that you need to recommit and say, God, I have been away, but I'm here today. I want, I want, to, re, I want to reestablish a fresh, intimate relationship with you right now. Raise your hand right here. I see the hands going up over the room. Anybody else? I'll give it just a moment. Come on now, let's all over the room. Let's just begin to recommit our lives before the Lord and say, God, I'm asking you to cleanse me and wash me. Give me a heart of purity. As King David said, give me clean hands. That means with your relationships and a pure heart. That means relationship with God. Make me pure and righteous before you, God. It's not my own righteousness and my right standing, but it's yours. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Come on, tell him, say, thank you for the blood. Thank you, Jesus, for going to that bloody, messy, gory cross for me. I yield to you today, and I'm asking you to take all of me and use it for the kingdom. Come on, tell him, say, take all of me and use it for the kingdom. Tell him you're available. I'm available.
I'm available. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you are able to take something from this sermon and apply it to your life. Also, feel free to share this with your friends and family. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at loveandtruthchurchsavannah at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week. Thank you.